Good morning, City Church. Happy Sunday. It's Sunday. I love Sunday. I love the fact that we can come together as a church, even if we're spread apart in our own homes, because church isn't a place and church isn't an event, but church is a people, a people who love Jesus, getting together with other people who love Jesus to spend time with one another and to spend time with those people specifically, you guessed it, to love on Jesus. And so it's Sunday. Happy Sunday. This is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice. Let's be glad in it. Let's seize this day and worship Jesus together. It's my honor today to share the message. And so before we start, just let's pray together for a moment, and then we'll dive into today's message. So Heavenly Father, we bless you, and we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, for the work you did on the cross for us. We thank you, Jesus, that you came to this earth, that you gave your life for our sins. We thank you, Jesus, that you're with us, because your word says where two or more are gathered, even in our living rooms, you're right there in our midst. And so we pray, Lord, that you would bless this day that you would bless our time together, and that you would be blessed as we spend this time looking at your word, looking at your love letter to us, your children. And so we thank you, Jesus. We honor you, and we bless you. And in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we are continuing today in our series in James. I love James. I think it's a, a great letter. Uh, in the scriptures. It's one of my favorites. It's one of my wife's favorites. It's just so much packed in there. And so we're going to be picking up in many ways really where Bishop Joe left off last week. If you remember, he was talking about the first chapter in James where the, the Apostle James says, count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into various trials, knowing that your faith is being tested or perfected through those trials. And he reminded us that that word perfected, in fact, the scripture says, let patience have its perfect work, that you may be lacking nothing. He said to us that, we, that word perfect can also be translated as mature, meaning that our patience has grown up. For me, that strikes something. Um, perfect is such a difficult word. It's this this high ideal that I can never live up to, I know that. I know that I'll never be perfect at anything. Um, but mature, that I can grab onto. That I can understand. That's something more attainable. Because it's the, it's the mature plant that bears the fruit, right? If I go out and I, I purchase a little apple tree seedling and I plant that in my yard... I'm not going to be surprised if the next day I walk out and it's not covered with apples. I don't expect that of the little seedling. Give it some years, let it grow, let it become a mature plant. And, you know, then I'm going to start expecting some apples for my patience of waiting. But not right away. It's the mature animal that gives birth to the offspring. So I understand maturity a lot better than perfection, or I... I can grab on to maturity a lot more easily than I can grab on to the word perfect. And so in James chapter 1 it says, But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Let patience have its mature work that we may be mature, 
and complete and lacking nothing. In this week's passage, we're going to be looking still in James chapter 1. We're going to be looking in verses 19 through 24, but it's really a continuation of this same theme of being patient in trials, of hearing the word of God and doing the word of God and bearing fruit. And so we're going to chunk the the scripture verses into two sections for today. And we're going to look at that first section, and we're going to start in verse 19. The word says, So then, my beloved brethren, Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of God does not produce the righteousness, I'm sorry, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. He starts off, he says, be quick to listen and be slow to speak. Be slow to wrath. And then he goes into this part about the word of God being implanted into us and that it has the power to save our souls. And when I read that passage, it reminds me of the parable of the sower. You may recall Jesus tells this parable where a farmer goes out to sow his seed and and they sowed seed differently back then than we do today. You know, now we have our neat little rows and we take a little seed out in our kitchen garden and we put it carefully in the ground and cover it up and add some water and maybe add some fertilizer. And we're very, very attentive and very careful that we're not putting too many seeds in one place. And It's just not the way they farmed back then. The farmer would have a handful of seed or a pouch of seed, reach his hand and pull out a handful and scatter it wherever the wind would take it. He would just take the seed and toss it out there. And so Jesus says some of that seed fell along the path and some of that seed fell in stony soil. Some of that seed fell where there were lots of weeds and some of the seed fell in good soil. And the seed that fell on the path, think here about a a path, like a a dirt road or maybe a hiking trail you may have seen once, but a a path that's been worn down by many people walking on it. The soil's been compressed as people walk and they walk and they walk and another person walks through and another person walks through and another person walks through. And the sun beats down on it and the, the rains come and soften the earth, but people walk on it and it compresses it more and more and more to a point where that seed really can't take root on that path. Because even though it's a dirt path, it's so hard, it's so compacted, it's had so many impressions made on it by people walking that it's impervious for that little seed. And Jesus says that the word of God is like that. It goes out, it's scattered amongst people, and some of it falls on hard places. Every time our our lives come in contact, our souls come in contact with this world around us, it makes an impression upon us. It presses down. It's like a pattern pressing down upon our souls to the point that there are places that make it very difficult for the word of God to take root. And so that seed that's on that path, the birds of the air come and they steal it before it ever has a chance to put out roots and to grow and to become a mature plant where it can bear fruit. Some of the seeds falls along the stony places. And those stony places, if you think about it, it would look like a really good piece of land. The, the surface that all of us can see is 
is just nice dirt. It's nice soil. But just below the surface are these stony, hard places. And so when the seed falls there, it takes root very quickly. It's good soil. But then there's nowhere for those roots to go. They, they encounter that stone. And so they spread out very shallowly across the surface. And when the sun gets hot, it dries up the soil. And those plants that sprung up really quickly, they perish. Because they have no root, no way to get that good nourishment. For us as people, that's when there are those hard places in our lives. Those hurts, those wounds, those areas of our heart where it's difficult for the word of God to take root there. Because there's this hard piece under the surface that maybe no one sees when they look at us. But it's right there, keeping us from really living fruitful lives. Jesus then talks about seed falling amongst the thorns, amongst the weeds. And he says that what this is, it's, it's in our lives, it's like when we have so many cares and concerns that it chokes out the word of God in our lives. They might be good cares, and they might be good concerns. Kids concerned about their parents. Parents, of course, concerned about their kids. It, it can be a husband concerned about providing for his family, or a, a mom concerned about her little ones. There's so many various concerns we can have in this world, and, and they can be good and they can be bad, but they can choke out the life of God in us if we don't keep them in a proper place in our lives. And so Jesus says, the word of God goes out. It's like a farmer scattering his seed. And some falls on those paths and is stolen. Some falls in those stony places, take root quickly but perish. Some fall amongst the thorns and the weeds and their life is choked out of them. But some falls amongst the good soil. And there it will bear fruit, 30, 60, and 100 fold. And that's what our goal is here, to let the word of God fall amongst good soil, fall in good soil in our lives, where it can bear a great harvest for us and for our family, for our church, for the kingdom of heaven. And so when I hear this, James say this, when he says, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls, that's where my mind goes, to that parable of the sower, for that, soil, for that seed to fall in that good soil. Earlier, he said, So my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For with the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word. When he's speaking there about laying aside the filthiness, laying aside the overflow of wickedness. I love that. It's great language. The overflow of wickedness. It makes me think of one of my wife's favorite passages from 2 Peter. It's, it's just the next book in the Bible. It's really easy. If you've got your Bible with you at home, flip a couple pages. You're going to be there. If you're using a Bible app on your phone, it's even easier. But in 1 Peter, I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 5, the apostle writes, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness 
add love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The cool thing about this verse is, is it's kind of like, and it's one of the reasons why my wife likes it, it's like a scope and sequence um, for a curriculum. You know, she's a teacher by trade, and so she, she thinks that way. You know, work on this. And then when you've got that part down, let's add the next part, right? And then when you understand that, let's add the next part. And when you've got that down, let's add the next part. And then it's probably time to review. Let's go back and start working our way through that again. And by developing one level and then another level and then another level, we move forward being fruitful in our relationship with Jesus. And so he says, start off with faith. And Jesus says, hey, if you have faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed. Be cast into the sea. If you do not doubt in your heart, but believe the words you say, you shall have whatsoever you pray. That's with just a little mustard seed of faith. A grain of a mustard seed of faith. So it doesn't take a lot of faith. It just takes a little bit of faith. It takes faith. The word says that we must be believers that he is. And that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And the word says that faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. So as we get a little ounce of faith, we can begin then to take that next step, adding virtue. James has just said to us, hey, lay aside that filthiness and that overflow of wickedness. Peter says, add virtue. And I like that. It's so much easier to add than it is to subtract. It's so much easier to say, I'm going to start doing this that's good for me, this that's good for my family, this that's good for my future, than it is to say, I need to break this habit in my life. Those habits that are so hard to break. It's so hard to get away from them. It's so much easier to say, I'm going to instead start focusing on doing these things well. So I'm going to start off with virtue. I've got a little bit of faith. I'm now going to start looking for opportunities or ways, strategies to add virtue into my life. To be a more virtuous person. When, when James says... Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. Be slow to have wrath. He's really saying the same thing. Because if we're quick to listen, then by default, we're going to be slow to speak. We're going to be slow to getting angry. Because we're not seeking our own. We're not trying to get our, our own message out there. We're trying to hear what that other person has to say. We're trying to listen to and hear what the real uh, underlying cause of the, of the difficulty is. We're not going to be so concerned about the symptoms. See, so if we're slow to speak, if we're slow to, to become angry, we'll also be quick to listen. The two go together. And so I'd encourage you, just like in 1 Peter, start off with faith and add virtue. And when you feel like you're beginning to get somewhere in that, you're beginning to gain some traction, then look to add some knowledge, right? But first work on that character part first, okay? It'll work out with us. Just what James is saying. Just like having patience in various trials. I drive a lot for work. One of the things that I've started doing, because I drive a lot, and I tend to get a little frustrated at people who don't drive well on the highway, 
Um, I tend to get a little frustrated because I'm one of those people who will drive in the right lane or the middle lane, except for when I want to pass, which is frequent. And I get quite frustrated when there are people in the left lane and I cannot pass when I want to. Sometimes I will curse the entire state of New Jersey because of how many people with Jersey plates are on the highway and I want to go a little bit faster than they do. But what's something I've been working on is not getting quite so angry at them, not calling down curses on the entire state of New Jersey, but rather instead, as crazy as it sounds, started praying for them. On the days when I'm frustrated at the traffic, I just start praying that God blesses those people. I'm in my little bubble of a car, there and theirs. They can't hear a word I'm saying. We'll never see each other ever again in this life, I'm sure. But I pray for them anyway. Pray that they get to where they're going safely. Pray that God blesses them. Pray that their family's well. I don't care. Anything to move my heart away from the anger that is quickly bubbling up inside of me on those drives. I instead want to enjoy my drive home. And so on those days where I find myself frustrated, I just start praying for people. I start praying for the people around me who I'll never meet, that God would bless them. I've added in this other behavior so that I'll be slower to anger and I'll be slower to speak maliciously of them. It's what James is talking about. It's what Bishop Matera was talking about last week. Let patience have that mature work in us. And so James goes on then, here in this passage, this, this, first, uh, James, this first chapter of James. And he says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone, I'm sorry, for if anyone is a hearer of the word, And not a doer. He's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. And he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. So, mental picture for you. I apologize ahead of time. Mental picture, you're never going to be able to get this out of your head when you hear this scripture. Imagine with me. We're now at a dinner party. 12 to 15 people gathered around a large table. It's a great gathering, good food, lots of conversation. We're having a good time. Everyone's enjoying themselves. One of the dishes served this night is steamed spinach. Now, if it was me, the steamed spinach would have a little cider vinegar in there, a little salt and pepper, a little bit of butter, because of course, butter makes everything better. And I would thoroughly enjoy that spinach. But the host of our dinner party, at the end of the meal, we're getting ready to retire for drinks and coffee. He gets up and he goes and uses the washroom. And then he's washing his hands and he looks in the mirror and sees a great big gob of green spinach in his teeth. And he fixes his hair and he finishes washing his hands and walks right on back out to the dinner party. And he's walking around, greeting the guests. How you doing? Are you having fun? Smiling, laughing, talking, enjoying himself, enjoying the company he has. And he's completely forgotten the giant gob of spinach in his teeth. That's what James is talking about. The man who's a hearer of the word of God only and not a doer is the man who completely forgets that he's walking around with a gob of spinach in his teeth He's making a fool of himself and making everyone else uncomfortable all around him. 
That really shouldn't be something we aspire to. Instead, he says, be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. When I think about that, I think about when you walk into a store and there's music playing in the background just to kind of fill the empty space. You're not really supposed to be listening to the music, probably not supposed to be singing along with the music. It's just kind of there in the background. For so many of us, the Word of God can be that background music, can be that filler going on, that easy listening music, rather than what it should be. It should be more like the score, the soundtrack to the movie of our lives, propelling us forward, encouraging us in where we're going, drawing other people in, helping us to let others know about the love of Jesus helping to overcome the various trials that we face in our lives. We don't want that music to be just background. We want that word of God to be living and active inside of us. We want to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. One of my favorite passages in Scripture is the wedding feast at the Cain of Galilee. And if you guys have been at City Church any length of time, you know that. I love talking about it. I see so much in that passage. I see creation, and I see the fall of man. I see salvation, uh, redemption, prayer, evangelism. I see faith and miracles. There's just so much there. And so I'm sure it's not a surprise I end up thinking about that, even as I'm thinking about this passage here in James. It says, be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. If you're not familiar with that passage of Scripture, the wedding at the Cain of Galilee, I'll, I'll say it real quickly. Maybe I'll just summarize. So I'll summarize it. Yeah, there you go. Uh, there's a wedding feast. Jesus and his disciples are there. Mary, his mother, is there. On the third day, yet another interesting little aspect. On the third day, the kids are running out of wine. Mary notices they're running out of wine, and she alerts Jesus of this fact. She prays, asks Jesus to do something about it. He turns to the servants, tells them, go get water, fill up these big stone pots till they're filled to the top. Then he turns that water into wine. The wine is taken out to the master of the feast. And the master of the feast commends the groom because most people start off with the inferior wine, but he has saved the really good wine until the end. Interesting thing about that, that passage, about that account is that really that groom didn't have a whole lot to do. I mean, granted, it's his wedding, so he shouldn't have a whole lot to do anyway. There, It's a party for him. He shouldn't have a whole lot to do. But here we have this miracle, this real first miracle of Jesus, and the groom gets commended by the master of the ceremonies. Another great interesting aspect here, the master of the ceremonies being a, an official or a, a politician or a businessman or a nobleman from the region, this really important muckety-muck. Um, he, gets, he gets commended by this man, and he really didn't do anything. It's Mary who noticed they were running out of wine. It's the servants who carried the water. It's Jesus who turned it into wine. It's another servant that carries it out to the master of the feast. The only one who gets any credit from all this is this groom. And thinking about that, it's unclear whether or not the groom even knows that he's running out of wine. 
And I guess it doesn't really matter. You could look at either scenario. You know, in one scenario, he has no clue. He's happily going about his, his ceremony. He's happily going about his party. He's figured he's done good enough. I mean, he's a good guy. He brought together some wine. He got some people together. He's done what he's supposed to do. Maybe he thinks he's got it all together and there's no problem. Mary recognizes this is a big issue because he's about to be embarrassed in front of his family and his friends and his co-workers. He's about to be embarrassed in front of potential customers. He's about to be embarrassed in front of his bride's family as a husband. That's a big issue, being embarrassed in front of your bride's family. She recognizes this, this could become a snowballing effect that would destroy his life. He, he could end up being the butt of jokes at other weddings. Huh? Remember Charlie's wedding when he ran out of wine? What an idiot! Right? He could end up being the caution. Hey, don't be like Charlie. You know, he ran out of wine, son. You know you've got enough for your wedding, right? Don't be like that guy. Right? I mean, it, it could have just gone on and on and on, the embarrassment that he could have felt. And he, maybe he had no clue it was coming. Maybe he thought he had it all together, that this wasn't even a possibility. But he was moments from destruction. Or maybe he knew full well that it was coming. Maybe he knew he was a fraud. Maybe he knew that in reality he didn't have what it took. Maybe he's just waiting with fear and trepidation for someone to say to him, we've run out of wine. And he's just, the impending doom is just building and building and building in him. Don't know which way it could have gone. Could have been either one. But the interesting thing is this. The groom did do one thing in this miracle. He did one really, really important thing. The Bible says that not only was Jesus and his disciples, were they at the wedding, it specifically says they were invited to the wedding. That's the cool thing. Whether this young man knew it or not, whether he knew who Jesus was or not, he'd heard about Jesus Everyone had heard about Jesus. Come on, this was the, the baby whose birth was announced by angels. Of course, he'd heard of Jesus. This was the baby who kings came from faraway lands and brought gifts to him and presented them. He'd heard about Jesus. This was the baby who Herod was so scared of that he killed all of the babies, right? Who were, I think, two years old or younger to try to kill Jesus. People had heard about Jesus. Jesus had been doing some teaching at this point. He'd already begun to gather disciples around him. This guy had heard about Jesus. He may have had no idea what Jesus could do in his life. He may have had no idea that he needed Jesus to do something in his life. But he'd heard about Jesus. And he took it a step further. He'd heard about Jesus and he acted on that. And he invited Jesus to be a part of his life. He invited Jesus to be a part of that biggest day of his life. He invited Jesus to be a part of his marriage with his bride from the very beginning. I want Jesus to be there as a part of that. And because he made the effort to invite Jesus into his life, Jesus was there when Mary said the kids have run out of wine. Jesus stepped in and changed the whole trajectory of this young man's life. He went from moments away from utter embarrassment 
to being commended by this public official. He went from a moments away of having no wine to serve his guests to now having hundreds of gallons of the finest of wines. He went from being an embarrassment and the butt of jokes to being one that people could respect and aspire to live and be like. His entire trajectory of his life was changed in a moment because he did something right. He invited Jesus to be a part of his life. And so when James says, hey, don't be just a hearer of the word, be a doer also. The book of John says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then it says in verse 14, that that word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word of God is Jesus. When we're doers of the word, we're doing Jesus. That's what we're doing. We're inviting Jesus to be a part of our lives. We're looking for a way for Jesus to be a part of everything we do. From our everyday, ordinary, walking around lives to driving on 87 and praying for people who are annoying me on the highway to doing dishes to folding laundry, looking for a way to incorporate or invite Jesus to be a part of those things, to stand at my kitchen sink, knowing I'm blessing my wife because I'm doing the dishes for her so she doesn't have to worry about it, and taking that time and praying at the same time, because why not? What else am I going to do? No one's going to come talk to me while I'm doing the dishes. No one's going to come up and, and have any great conversation with me. I might as well pray during that time. If she's home, I could be praying for her. If she's at work, I could be praying for her. I could pray about anything. My point is this. To be a doer of the word is to invite Jesus into an area of our lives. To let Jesus inspire us as to how to live our life in that moment. It's like when we talked about that first Peter passage, or that second Peter passage, where it says, hey, start with faith, then add virtue, then add knowledge, then add then add, then add. That's how we become fruitful. That's how we overcome those trials. By adding those things to our lives, by inviting Jesus to be a part of our lives. That's what that young man did that day. And it changed everything for him. This morning, maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've never invited Jesus to be a part of your life. Well, let's pray in a moment. We're going to close out this time. And let's pray that Jesus would move in your life. Maybe when I was talking about the parable of the sower, maybe something there struck your heart. Hey, you know what? I do have a stony spot in my heart where this, the word of God is not taking root, where I'm not really feeling like I'm being fruitful in my lives. Let's pray about that. And you know what? Maybe pull aside your house church leader. Ask them to pray with you afterwards and talk about it. Maybe you've got some cares that are overwhelming you this morning. Those cares, those weeds, those concerns. Let's pray about that too. Let's be a people of the word. Let's let that word guide us. Let's be a people who invites Jesus over and over and over again into our lives. That we can develop that mature faith that bears fruit. For us, for our family, for our church, for the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Let's pray. So, before we pray, real quickly, prayer's just talking to God. 
We're not looking for any fancy language here. God's not impressed by it anyway. So I just don't pray that way. If you do, I'm sorry, don't be offended. I don't. So Heavenly Father, we thank you. And I pray, Lord Jesus, right now. We pray, Lord, for anyone who doesn't know Jesus, just say after me, today, I invite you, Jesus, to come and be a part of my life. Things I've done wrong, please forgive me. Things that I haven't done that I should have done, please forgive me. Cleanse me of my sins. Cleanse me of the things I've done wrong. Let me live forever with you. Amen. It's really as simple as that. You could say just something like that or something very similar. That's all Jesus asks, that we pray and that we believe. We confess with our mouth that he is Lord. We believe in our heart he was raised from the dead. Then we'll be saved. Now let's pray for everybody who does know Jesus, who's just trying to live a little bit more according to his word. So Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you would touch those stony heart places in our heart, that you would soften them. Lord God, that you would soften up those, those stony places, that you would take out from us those wounds and those hurts. I pray, Lord, that you would soften up those paths, those hard places in our lives where the world has just pounded it down so that the word of God can't even take root. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to clear away those weeds, to push back those cares and concerns and let them be in a right place. So, Lord, your word can go into our heart and it can bear there a harvest, 30, 60, and 100 fold. Let us be a people of patience. Let us be a people of a mature faith. Let that faith do its mature work. So we thank you and we bless you, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. Hey, City Church, I had a blast. I hope you were blessed by this. Have a great week. We'll see you soon. Amen.